0: This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, axe murders are as American as baseball and apple pie. But have you ever stopped to wonder why that is? Join us as we jump into the real-life true crime story of one of the most grisly murders in American history, in the house that still harbors some of the lingering spirits. This is episode number 16 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Villisca Axe Murders, Villisca, Iowa.
1: Everything was hazy. The man couldn't remember where he was or where he had been. It was dark. He was sitting behind a box in an attic, and an axe lay next to him as he heard the sound of children playing and getting ready for bed. It all began to come back to him. How long had he been reliving this very night? One year? Ten years? One hundred? Either way, it always starts the same. In an attic, behind a box, next to an axe and he could only watch through his own eyes like being stuck in a painting as his body began to move on its own. The sounds of the children and couple had stopped, and no one was moving in the house. There was no stopping himself, no matter how much he tried, how much he struggled. The man headed towards the attic door. As he did, his internal panic set in. Please, God, make it stop. I don't want to see it again. This was futile. He was in the hall now and headed towards the master bedroom. The man approached a sleeping married couple, raised his axe, and brought the blunt side down on the husband's head, fiercely and swiftly. Without pause, the man raised the axe ferociously, and before bringing it down, got the axe stuck in the ceiling. As the wife began to wake, he yanked it out, turned it around, hitting her with the bladed side in the face repeatedly. The man's conscience had a sick feeling as he knew what came next. He turned around and headed to the children's room, where the couple's four children lay sleeping. The man internally was trying something, anything, to get his body to just drop the axe and run, but it was useless. He was destined to repeat this day for the rest of eternity. The axe raised in the blunt side came crashing down on each child. The body stood there to admire its work. While the man watching from inside began to feel sick, this wasn't over but he had given up on trying to stop it. He was as much a coward in death as he was in life. His body began to move back down the stairs, towards the room where the final two girls were sleeping. The man crept in and took out the younger girl the same way as the rest of the children. The older sister began to wake. The stranger smiled slightly at her as she looked up, and he brought the axe down one more time. Internally, the man knew they were all dead, but it wasn't over. He watched as his body went back to each room and took sick pleasure in mauling the bodies repeatedly. And then it stopped a few moments of pure blackness. Then the haze creeped in. He was sitting in the attic and heard the sounds of children playing and getting ready for bed as he sat behind a box next to an axe. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories The Axe Murder House, Ballisca, Iowa. <laughs> Villisca, Iowa, originally began as a small settlement called the Forks. The actual town was formed by a man named D.N. Smith of the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad. He named the town Ballisca because he thought it was the Native American word for pretty place. What Velisca actually means is evil spirit. Regardless, the town on the railway flourished, and by the early 1900s, amongst its restaurants, theaters, and stores, was home to close to 2,500 people. The economy of the town relied heavily on agriculture and the railway that supported it. One family that lived in Villisca was the Moores. Josiah B. Moore was a prominent businessman in the town. He lived with his wife Sarah and their four children, Herman, the oldest, was 11, Catherine 10, Boyd, age 7, and the youngest, Paul, was 5. Sarah was very active in their local church, and by all accounts, they were a happy family. Sunday, June 9, 1912, was a mostly typical day for the Moors, with the exception that Sarah was putting together an event at their church. Not far from their home, the family walked together to the church. While at the service, Catherine asked her mother if her friends Lena and Ina Stillinger could spend the night. She agreed and called the family, and spoke with their older sister, who said she'd let their parents know that the girls would be at the Moors' house for the evening. The night went off as planned, and the family walked home at 9.30, and were home no later than 10 p.m. There's a few theories of what the killer was doing during this time. One is that he was also at the church service. Lena may have caught his eye, and he followed the family home from a distance, making sure not to be spotted. Another theory is the man had already picked out his victims for the night. When the family cleared the house for the evening, he either went and waited in the barn, which had holes in it facing the house so he could see when they've returned and gone to bed, or he was already in the house. Later, it was documented that the attic had two smoked cigarettes thrown on the floor. Either way, he saw that the family had come home. Once everyone arrived and winded down a little bit, they got ready for bed. Josiah and Sarah would be sleeping in their room, their children in the other upstairs bedroom, while Lena and Ina would be in the downstairs room. Once the killer felt comfortable enough that they were sleeping, he went through with his despicable plan. He slowly and quietly made his way into the parents' bedroom. While brandishing an axe, he raised it above his head and ran into his only real trouble for the night. The Moors had low ceilings. So low, in fact, that we know that the man who committed these crimes had to be on the shorter side, as any average-sized man would not have been able to successfully swing an axe at full force overhead. This was almost a problem for the short man as well, the blade momentarily stuck in the ceiling. However, he was able to recover and brought the blunt side down on Josiah's head violently and without remorse. The most overlooked thing about this case is that he killed everyone in the house with the blunt side of the axe, with the exception of Sarah. Although Sarah was bludgeoned, she was also the only person in the house hit with the sharp side of the axe multiple times in her face. One description is that it was like staring at sliced meat. A personal theory of mine is that after killing Josiah, the killer was nervous about hitting the ceiling again and alerting the house. So he flipped the axe over, and quickly hacked at Sarah. Once the parents were dead, he moved on to the children upstairs. All were also bludgeoned to death, and there were no signs that Any even made an attempt to get out of bed. There was still one room left to go, with two sleeping children. He worked his way downstairs, and into the guest room. The story in this room is a little different than the rest. It's known that he most likely killed Ina right away. Lena, however was the only person in the house who was not in a natural sleeping position. Her undergarments were removed, and she was posed on the bed. After he finished with the Stillinger girls, the man went back to the parents' bedroom and repeatedly bludgeoned the already dead married couple multiple times, leaving them almost unrecognizable. Josiah, in fact, was beaten so bad that his eyes were missing. The murderer didn't leave right away after killing everyone in the house. In fact, he had left some very specific evidence... First, the killer took the time to cover the faces of all the victims with bedsheets. He also went around the house and made sure the windows and curtains were closed so you weren't able to see inside. On windows that had no curtains, he covered them with the Moore's clothes. Lamps were found under the two beds with the chimneys removed and placed under dressers in the house. The wicks had also been split in half to dim the amount of light given off. The axe itself was found in the same room as the Stillinger girls' bodies. Although bloody, it was noticeable that an attempt to clean it was made. Also in the Stillinger room was a block of bacon on the floor. Although Lena had been posed, it is believed she was not sexually assaulted. The block of bacon, however, is believed to have been used as a masturbation tool for the killer after he completed his murders. All the doors were locked in the house. And finally, a pan of bloody water sat on the kitchen table next to a plate of uneaten food. A lot of this suggests that this wasn't the killer's first time, as he was far too comfortable after the murders were committed. The morning after the murders, a neighbor, Mrs. Peckham, had noticed that the family home was showing no signs of life. This was unusual, as the Moors not only had children, but animals that they needed to tend to. After a few hours and still nothing, she decided to call Josiah's brother and let him know something seemed a bit off. She also tended to the farm animals of her neighbors while she waited to hear back. Ross, Josiah's brother came and knocked on the door and got no answer. He had a key for the house, and after waiting a bit, he unlocked the door. He walked in the house and immediately found the bodies of the Stillinger girls in the parlor and screamed to Mrs. Peckham, who was on the porch, to call the police. The police created a crime scene, but as soon as the locals heard, hundreds of people came and trampled through it. Some say the bodies were still in there when they did, and others say that they had already been removed. It's reported that one man even picked a piece of Josiah's skull from the bed and put it on display in his pool hall. The suspects. There was a large list of suspects for this case. We're just going to hit on some of the more prominent ones. Frank Jones was an Iowa state senator and former employer of Josiah Moore. When Moore decided to take off and open his own shop, he took some of the biggest accounts from his former employer with him. It is also believed that Josiah Moore was having an affair with Jones' daughter-in-law. The gossip in town for a while was that Frank Jones hired a man named Blackie Mansfield to kill the family. There was no solid evidence of this. Even so, it ended up derailing Jones's political career. Reverend George Kelly was a strange man. He was known to send lewd and vulgar letters to women who answered ads he placed in the paper for jobs. He was also a known peeping Tom and happened to be at the same service as the Moors on the night of the murders. Once he became a suspect, he was eventually arrested by the police, and shockingly, he confessed. It is believed the police pressured him into this confession, and his first trial would end in a hung jury, and the second trial he would be acquitted. The Man from the Train In 2017, Bill James and his daughter Rachel McCarthy James released a book called The Man from the Train, where over the course of years, they researched every family that was killed by an axe murderer. While investigating this, they found some strikingly similar cases and patterns that matched what happened in Villisca, including a haunting scene that happened in Colorado Springs. On Monday, September 18, 1911, the Burnham house was unusually quiet. Neighbors called Alice Burnham's sister, Nettie, to check in on them. Nettie arrived at her sister's house with a friend, joking about how terrible it would be to find her sister and children dead. What they didn't expect was once they got the door open, that's exactly what they would find. They forced open a door to a bedroom and saw splotches of blood all over the wall, and her niece on the edge of the bed dead, the victim of the blunt side of an axe. They rushed from the house screaming and wailing, where they asked for people to call the police. The police arrived and began to investigate the crime scene. Alice and her children Alice, May, and John all lay dead at the hands of the axe murderer, and the husband was nowhere to be found. While talking to a neighbor, he mentioned that no one from the Wayne house, which was directly next to the Burnham house, had been seen either. The police decided to force their way into that house as well, and found yet another haunting scene. Henry, his wife Blanche, and their daughter all lay dead in a bed as well. The police found Arthur Burnham working on a laundry truck. Although the primary suspect, he was eventually cleared with an airtight alibi of working all night, there were some striking similarities to that of the Velisca house. The killer used the blunt side of an axe to murder his victims. He locked all the doors and covered all the windows and mirrors with cloth. Nothing was stolen. A lantern with the chimney removed was found under a piece of furniture with the wick split. The axe was found with the attempt to clean it off. A bowl of bloody water was in the house. And the house, like most others linked to the man on the train, were within a mile of intersecting train tracks. Just. Like. Ballisca. When you take everything into account, it's clear that an axe-wielding serial killer was terrorizing the country at this point in time. Unfortunately, the police forces never fully put it together. For more on the actual crimes, we suggest reading the book, The Man on the Train, or listening to the Velisca episodes from the podcast Morbid, The Hauntings in Velisca. The house itself was built in 1868 by George Loomis. The Moors wouldn't purchase it themselves until 1903, and the ownership after has a long and complicated history Including being used as a rental property where oftentimes tenants wouldn't stay very long. Some, stating they saw or felt things in the home, and in general, had an uneasy feeling. Finally, in 1994, the current owners, Darwin and Martha Lynn, purchased the home and used old photos to restore it to the best of their ability to what it looked like in 1912. When asked about the presence of ghosts, Martha will tell you she's experienced some things, but doesn't tell you exactly what, as she wants you to have your own experiences with no preconceived notions of what to expect. When pressed, the only further she'll go is to let you know that something not so friendly might be lurking about. One day, the caretaker of the axe house was upstairs in the house when he heard someone start walking around downstairs. He had explicitly told the staff to stay away that day and was not happy they weren't following instructions. He decided to hide in the closet in the bedroom he was in and scare the person in the house. He quietly slipped in and closed the door. As he waited, he listened to the footsteps come up the stairs, slowly, one by one. They began down the hallway towards the room he was in. As he heard them enter the room, he jumped out to surprise them, and yet no one was there. Shocked, he looked around the second floor, then the first floor, before checking the exterior of the property and seeing that no trace of anyone had been around. There's also a darker presence felt within the house. November 7th, 2014, Robert Larson Jr. and his paranormal team, including his parents, were staying in the house to try and acquire some evidence of a paranormal presence. At roughly 12.45 a.m., around the same time the Moors were believed to have been murdered, he was in one of the bedrooms alone with the rest of the team outside. He radioed for help. Confused, the team rushed in. They found a serious knife wound in Larson's chest area and called an ambulance. The man had to be airlifted to the hospital. Larson was able to recover from his injuries, and he's never spoken on record about what happened that night. It's been reported that he told people he doesn't remember exactly what happened, but that he basically went into a trance that an evil entity either took over or told him to do it. Until he's ready to tell his tale, we may never know what truly happened that night.
0: everybody welcome into hometown ghost stories This is episode number 16 that was the uh Villisca house and the hauntings thereafter the axe murderer uh done by rob coakley there nice video
1: very well done I'm just here. uh i just want to make a quick uh amendment to the episode i said that lena was not sexually assaulted which is not accurate she just wasn't um raped. you know molested raped yeah so right um so a little correction there.
0: Also, man, it was the man from the train, right? I yes. You actually corrected that in the episode. Though. I so corrected for that for, in the episode. For audio listeners, you didn't see the correction, but the book is called Man from the Train, uh, not Man on the Train. But, anyways, I'm Jesse Wilkins. Uh, that is uh, Rob Coakley's on Twitter at Ken Coakley and Dave Wilkins on Twitter at Dave Wilkins12. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that was the Velisca House,
1: Iowa. And, uh, man, that, that is a, a crazy story. It's even crazier. Like, mm-hmm. I, I got into as much of this as I could for one episode. We could have done a 300-part episode on this because it is so wild. So you are both were familiar, at least, somewhat with the with Felisca the access, right? Right. Yes. Because I, cause I was as well. But I didn't know. I thought it was just, you know, like a, a one-off crime. And then when you start digging into this, it is clear that the guy who did this absolutely had done this before there yeah. there's no way this was a this was his first time doing this it was too clean of a crime he just he was so confident in what he did afterwards and then you find this book the man from the train where the authors went through and they I think they researched for 10 years i might be off on that but they they checked every axe murder to a family over the course of 20 years or so. And some of these cases, the, the similarities are just, it's just, it's, it's too much to be coincidental.
0: Yeah. Especially with like the bowl of bloody water, the, the lantern. Underneath Split that, wicks. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, I mean, maybe it has some sort of a copycat element to it, but I, I, I don't think so. So.
1: Especially I, I mean, when I, they're not circulating, news like they would nowadays so that's that was half the problem for the police force they they weren't connecting these crimes because they didn't even know about the other ones until the end well a
0: lot of the uh, the crimes that were committed were committed in not only just small towns but like areas outside of small towns where there were either no police force or a very um just not a very good police force yeah i mean at that time you'd have like a sheriff and a couple deputies most of these like smaller towns yeah, right. But what they were doing is they were going outside of those small towns where there were just areas where there just were no police. So right. like the police would, uh, would, wouldn't be able to even show up for a couple of days or, a, you know, like a long period of time.
1: The good old and, days. The good and, old days. And he was burning those houses down. Yeah, early on. Yep. So there could have, we could have even been able to connect it even better. But when he was outside of a town far enough, he would burn the house down <clears throat> to try not to leave evidence. And not only does he have, like, I think the body count, what was it, Dave, like somewhere around 96 people? Yeah, and so
0: the the book has it, it was no fewer than 40 people and up to uh, 100 people, not including like the lynchings and like the subsequent deaths that happened for people that were like wrongly accused of these murders.
1: Which I couldn't even get into, but like, a lot of these cases, somebody took the fall for them. Like a, whether it be a family member or the local, the local thief, you know they would just go. They're like, "Oh, something bad happened. <laughs> Got to go get Larry down at the bar because he does everything in this town. Yeah, you know he steals pocket watches. He probably kills families. Same thing, <laughs> you know. So they would go get him. And then if it wasn't like the local thief, they legitimately would just blame it on black people. And they would and they would lynch them. So people were lynched over these crimes and they would say, you know, well, it was clearly a robbery and there'd be money sitting on the counter and jewelry sitting on the counter. It's like, well, yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe it really wasn't a robbery. What what are we doing here, guys? Like, let's let's do a little bit of detective work.
0: Uh, You'd think that a robber, someone who is going to rob a place and would go to the extreme of chopping a family to death. Would probably not overlook the fact that there's like 150 bucks cash sitting on the counter, right? <laughs> Just like in plain sight,
1: right? So let's <laughs> rule that out. Um, I, I'll give the the Villisca police force some credit. There is a a key detail that they caught in that on the to, to help establish a timeline where the mother and father were definitely killed first. There was a shoe next to the bed. It was Sarah's shoe, but it was next to Josiah's body on his side of the bed. And what happened was after he bludgeoned them, the blood from the bed poured into the shoe. And they know he came back because the shoe was later knocked over and all that blood was spilled. And there was more blood on the side of the shoe. So they're hmm. like, oh, okay. He he definitely came in here, took care of them. Then went to the kids and then came back and he just went the town on them, just hitting them as much as he could. Which is just, dude, it's just so wild. That's because they saw the shoe was filled up with blood first,
0: right? And then kicked over, right? Because the blood spilled out,
1: and then the blood and on, the, so side of the, on shoe. the side of
0: the shoe. Yeah, yep. that's, right. that's
1: pretty good. That is pretty good. Which is great police for, especially for the time, um, is some is some excellent police work because you just. Don't expect it from that time period.
0: Now, right when you when you read about all the stories where they were just like, it's this guy, it's like the first person they think of, and they convict him in fifteen minutes. It's like these these guys weren't doing anything. They weren't doing yeah. anything. It seems like they had a few solid leads, though, and you went over a few of them. Um, I had thought it was going to be the creepy peeping tom guy, just from yep. um, just from a few of the videos that I watched. I mean, that's the guy who ended up confessing, so that's pretty strong evidence. But uh, you know, this is a different time with. Um, you know, interrogations where they would just beat you for days until you
1: decide to you know, Well, did you did confess. you get a chance to read the little the little confession part that I put on the screen? I it, couldn't it, see it now, it's going too fast. Okay. So if you go and look at part of the confession, they're they're literally leading the witness. Talk he, He's
0: he's writing an ouch, please stop hitting me in the confession. Yeah. So
1: so the detective is Habner. Havner, you got the axe in the backyard, didn't you? Kelly, I don't know. I cannot remember. Havner, you know you was there. You know you did. I have been looking into this matter for years. Now tell me, don't sob that way. Kelly, I was insane. What did I do that for? Havner, don't ask me. Which did you kill first? Kelly, I suppose I killed the children first. So, yeah, this
0: is like, a, do you ever watch um, Making a Murderer when they're- yeah interviewing uh what was his name brendan or something like that yeah. the kid is just the kid's just not all there he's clearly got some sort of mental disorder and they he had an just, iq of like 45 right yeah yeah like he'd be trying to fit the square piece into the circle thing on that little kid's toy you know like it's yeah all day he's, yeah he's um he was just telling them what they wanted to hear, and they're like, "And you know, you did this, didn't you? Yeah, I guess so." You and he kept asking, to? "Can I go he's home?" Like, after he's like, this, "Can yeah. I walk, You know, can I watch wrestling now?" Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, "Yeah, that, that's You're like, how do I feel good running. about that confession?"
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, I'll just I'll hit on Kelly real quick, and he he didn't do himself favors. He got he was obviously at the church. A lot of people point to him leaving the next morning at five thirty. As like a, as like this whole thing about him being guilty, why is the train running at five thirty if people aren't supposed to get on it? He was away from his town. He wanted to get home like he if he's up that early, he's just gonna go home if he wants to. Like, I, I don't look at that as anything guilty. Um, but he did himself no favors because he was pretending to be a police officer and trying to search the scene of the crime. After yeah, the but, fact, yeah, but
0: so is a hundred other people. That's no, that
1: not be... to the extent he was doing it. He was pretending to be a police officer to right, get okay. all the case filed notes on it. People were just trying to go look at the house. He was actually trying to interject himself into the investigation, which is what criminals like. If you ever go yeah, back and they, look at something, they, they do
0: this, they return to the scene of the crime. So, do you think it's possible
1: him. this one was him? I, if I, I don't think it was him, because I don't think he had the aptitude for it. Just based on everything you read about him, he was like a meager, weak man, um, mentally weak. I don't think the guy who did this was mentally weak. I think the guy who did this was – The guy who
0: did it was definitely a pedophile, and those people are
1: mentally definitely. weak. Well, I mean, yeah, mentally weak in that aspect. But in yeah, the but aspect, is he physically that, weak? No, but so. like you, watch, you watch any like the Chris Hansen, To
0: Catch a Predator – or like even there's like a whole bunch of like yeah, online it's people. Every single views. person they catch is just a like a scared little insecure. Like 100. percent There's never yeah, somebody it, aggressive, right? To your point, have you ever seen every one once in a while? The- but like every once in a like, sorry, I just want to finish my point real quick. Like every once in a while, you'd expect like to see like one of these people just like snap and just try and attack the person who caught them. It never happens. They're no. always 100 of the time just weak. People. And to your point have you ever seen like a weak little thing try to swing an axe maybe they'll get one or two good chops in but like yeah. this dude this dude's hitting you know bludgeoning these people 30 40 times each like he's, this, he's getting them in their sleep so yeah, they not i'm not saying he wouldn't be able to overpower a child i'm just saying like like to actually physically be able to swing an axe that many times like this little weak I guess once they're dead, it doesn't really matter how hard. I'm not talking physically it. weak. I'm talking mentally weak. Of course he's mentally weak. Who kids, you know, no, 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 like right. strong, you know, you know, mentally stable person is going to kill kids. But you know.
1: he's, he has a mental capacity for this. And I don't think Reverend, Reverend Kelly had the mental capacity for murder just based on everything you read about him. Like he, he just doesn't fit the profile technically for that. And he was just, it just, it, nothing for him adds up to being the murderer.
0: He was just and, a creep dude. Yeah. yeah like, like yeah. he was sending all those like creepy letters to, that was the same one, right? Like, he was yeah. one that was like writing, basically, people would respond to like basically his Craigslist ad of the yeah. time and he just write him back. lender's um, comment real quick, because this is actually um, brought up a couple times in the book. So, two axe murderers. He spelled axe weird, but we'll look at that slide. Um, <laughs> so, it a couple of times the book um the man from the train brought up the possibility of there being multiple axe murderers um which is interesting because of the amount of people that they killed you, that's you know what I mean like you go in there was there were circumstances where there were like eight nine even more people killed at one time, so it was like how's one person with an axe? get away with killing all these people without the other ones waking up or being able to actually just go through and execute all these people without being stopped if they're eight or nine. So that's where the, um, the the multiple murderers um, scenario comes into play. Um, I don't think so. And the book doesn't think so either. And I'm not taking credit for this theory, but I agree with this one and it's number one, um, they're taking out mostly children, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And you got typically one or two males and a you know a wife, you know. There's like a like a farmhand every every once in a while. So like it's it, it is possible for one person to get a sleeping group of children, you know, and minimal adults. And number two is like this guy, if he is actually responsible for you know upwards of a hundred murders, you're not going to be able to sustain that if you have a partner. I don't think. Right like you you can't keep that going if you're not just one dude hopping on a train i don't know, you know? i I've, I've read some pretty twisted cases about like killer duos and you know 30 or 40 years right mhm
1: like, be like, to... yeah tw- between 20 and 30 well about 20 years i think it's like yeah. right around 1900 to 18 like 1890 like, like 18 1898 to 1912 uh,
0: 19, yeah, yeah, so 20, 20 or so years
1: yeah, uh, I'm just gonna pull up this comment as well. It's Stephen Volpe saying possibly a traveling salesman, which is a good it's it's a good theory. But the pro- the problem is like they they're kind of sure of what his occupation was. They think he was some sort of woodcutter, just based on axes. Well, more so because of where the crimes took place during which parts of the year. Uh, the winter was always in the south, and he would travel back north or. Northern Midwest during the winter, I mean during the summer months. So, like the climate really influenced where he was doing his his that um, and the the proximity to um, train stations, so like well, train stations that
0: were close to like lumberjack areas, right? That um, and um, coal mines, or not right. necessarily coal mines, but like mines in general, yeah. Um, because you know you're, you're you're a lumberjack, you're swinging an axe, and if you're exactly, a man, you're swinging us. a pickaxe. <laughs> He, <laughs> he was an axe salesman. Yeah, that's there what I go. said. Exactly. So uh, I, I do want to go on a, a couple more of these uh, suspects, but I think it's more of the theory that it's none of these people and it's just that whole man on you know man from the train theory that it's just a serial axe killer. But I don't think any of these guys on the list was a serial killer. The other one that I wanted to touch on was Henry Lee Moore. No relation to the Moore family. I right. think you talked about him. Was that the one that had the... the I, I, didn't okay. I, I didn't bring him up.
1: I didn't bring him up because it's just so... It just wasn't him.
0: Well, right. But then he murdered his mother a couple of months later with an axe, didn't he? Even mother and grandmother,
1: I believe. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, I mean, that's something, right? Unless he it, was, like, saw that as a like, good idea.
1: Well, you, there. So, to who? I don't remember which one of you brought it up. The copycat killer. Just, I don't yeah. there, so, there, there were, after this started to get out, there were a lot of. Axe murderers starting to roll between like 1910 and 1912, which is bananas. It had
0: to be a relatively popular item to kill people with. Like people don't touch on this much, but like one of the, like the most popular murder weapon in the United States is a hammer. It's not a gun. It's not a knife. So it's like people just get killed with hammers all the time. I might be wrong about that, but I've heard that the hammer is just the most commonly used murder tool. And, season four of Dexter. Elaborate. That the serial killer was a uh, uh, he killed people with a hammer. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I thought you just wanted to talk about Dexter a little bit. Um, I just wanted I to find something spoil. else to spoil. Well, no. <laughs> Spoiler alert: Dexter also ends up being a lumberjack. So <laughs> look at that; it all ties in. Uh, so Henry just uh, said. So, so yeah. So I, I think because. You you might be right with the copycat thing. So, so, so going forward going, I'm hometown. gonna
1: elaborate on your point real quick. Okay. So they talk about this in the book where things become trendy and murders. They talk about how like during this time it was the axe. Um what was the other ones they hit on, Dave? They they hit on like three things, like
0: yeah, so they went through, like the drive by shootings, Yeah. I think it was the nineteen twenties. Uh that was a big thing that wasn't a thing before it was.
1: Yeah. Um they did the, uh, oh, that's a good question. They, they went through like a bunch of different scenarios on murders and like every other decade. There's, like, yeah, now. there's like trends every decade. Uh, different so trends. once, once something cuts out there, cause these ax murders weren't, weren't really being reported widely until 1910. And then as soon as they were, they, they were taken off everywhere. There was definitely the ax man of new Orleans who clearly was not this guy the Axman of New Orleans was way too sloppy to be the same person. And his, he, his kill rate was like 46% to 56% somewhere in that wheelhouse. So like, he wasn't even, you know, this guy, the guy who was doing this other stuff, like they said, what the, the, li- the people that lived after meeting him was under 3%. If it was any, if it was above zero. So the Axeman in New Orleans, he was he was pretty sloppy. And then there was the other one in Louisiana, which was similar, but there was enough differences that you knew it wasn't him. You know, and then you have like the Lizzie Borden murder, which isn't him. It just doesn't fit the MO. Might,
0: might not have even been her. Yeah, we'll get into that. Right, yeah. She was never convicted. I don't think she was ever even charged. Uh, Just to go back to my hammer comment before I get lit up in the comments, uh, I was wrong. Uh, Handguns blows it away. Uh, Handguns in 2019 was 45%. Hammers does beat out knives, though. Uh, 11% hammers, 10% knives. But guns, way more. So just to correct that, which makes a lot more sense for me. But yes, we shall continue. But higher than I expected. When I heard that, I was like, hammers? What? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this whole this wasn't even this guy's worst, his biggest kill count. There was one where they're pretty sure he killed eleven people at once, and then there's that Colorado Springs murder where he just, he just, dude, he just goes into one house and he's like, oh, not done, gonna just walk into the neighbor's house, take them out, and
0: that wasn't good enough. Didn't get well. The
1: the theory for it, I mean, obviously we'll never know, but um. They thought that he saw the kids outside playing together and the one that caught his eye, he thought lived at the house that it, that she was playing at. He was wrong. Went in. She wasn't in there. Killed everyone. He was like, oh, she must live next door and went over and killed the rest of the the other family. That's crazy. But did she live next door? Yeah, because they were like really good, good friends as neighbors and stuff. And it was a um it was a tuberculosis town, actually, where people moved to that town who had tuberculosis, and I think both of the fathers had it, so they were undergoing treatment and working in in that town.
0: How bullshit so, would you be if you if they just turned your hometown into tuberculosis town
1: like, <laughs> Everyone the tuberculosis into your town? Yeah. You're like, "Well wait,
0: do I move <laughs> um, yeah. Just they, to you, so I, I just want to go back before we get too, too far away, just on, on the whole copycat killer thing that I was talking about. The reason I brought it up was not so much that it was like, oh, I want people to think I'm the serial killer. A lot of times with these copycat murders, they're like, oh, if I just X kill my family now, they're going to think it was the serial killer. So yeah. you have you have two different kinds of people when it comes to these copycat things. Ones that actually try to copycat, copycat the murder, and ones that come in and confess to all the murders that they didn't do, like these weirdos you see them all the time. With, mm-hmm. You know, these big uh, serial killers over, you know, in history. And then the other ones are people that just want to uh, try to get away with killing someone that they wanted dead. And like, well, they might blame that guy, right? So yeah, yeah, and but they there's think also- that
1: happened too. They do think some of the cases might have been that. There's also the
0: cases that people copped. You know, people um, admitted to doing it, but probably didn't like this book touched on briefly, um, which was very, very interesting. This, for me, this was probably the most interesting part of the book was the Clementine Barnabet axe murders, who was like the most, you know, 1911, 1912. She killed like allegedly killed like 35 people with an axe and uh, or she was responsible for it. Apparently she was in a cult. And she was like the uh, the first African-American woman axe murderer, serial killer that, you know, went on the record and she admitted to a whole bunch of them. And this book was like, man, a lot of these might've been the man from the train. And this, this, this woman might've been just admitting to things, you know, she was 19 at the time and she was like a couple of the crimes that she admitted to doing. She was in jail when the actual murders happened and the murders all fit, you know, while she was in jail, all fit the uh, Velisca killer. They all fit his MO. So they were like, and the the author was straight up like, I don't think Clementine Barnabet killed anyone. I think that she was wrong place, wrong time, and just was. Is this another mental- case of? It could be. It could be both things. It could be like men, you know, mentally kind of just not all there. Like the other guy that confessed to the murder. Yeah, and she was black, so they might have just pinned it on her anyways. Right. That's, that's also she, what they she admitted have to, to it, and she admitted to being part of a cult. That the researchers of this book were like, we can't find anything. That that supports the the idea that this cult even existed beyond yeah, the, curse, other the stories she to told. Too. however, that guy did recant it right after he admitted he it. She recanted so, it. I don't think she did. And she was admitting to crimes that she 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 confessed to murders that occurred while she was in prison. So it's like, well, if she's lying about these ones. She could be lying about all of them, and what a is, lot of them fit the strange, M.O. with this guy on the train. What a strange like thing that is, because it's it's pretty common is people admitting to murders they didn't do. And I just don't get it. I think a lot of it is, is the police back then were beating people and just coercing, um, admissions of guilt out of people. That's, I think you, you get a lot of that and you get a lot of that. And you get a lot of people that I think just want to be in the limelight, which is, I mean, crazy to me, but, um, I oh, see there here's here's a good here's a good one. We can get into this, I guess. <laughs> no, this is in an and Dave you're not allowed to talk. All right, so Andrew says I believe I spelled ax co- correctly. Please explain the conj- conjugation. Con- yeah, conjugation, yeah. I mean you, define, you can't read so are you going to talk about how it's spelled? <laughs> I'm going to talk about some spelling and some reading right now. So, uh, ax was basically it's spelled two ways, AX or AXE on the ax house, uh the Velisca ax house, however it is. It's spelled A-X. Now, I guess the more common way to spell it now is A-X-E, but both are correct. It's just if you spell it A-X, that means you are ancient and old and practically dead, like Dave.
1: Right. And 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 a a a terrible person. person. Right.
0: Oh, no, Volpe. I thought Volpe was agreeing with Dave. Volpe, I take it back. I take it back. You're great. Uh, I thought Volpe was agreeing with Dave. but No, he's he's not. He's agreeing with McSlugs. However, what Jesse is saying is that the old spelling is A-X, and the new spelling is A-X-E. And all that means... Is that enough people misspelled the word that it became common enough for for (laughs) Webster Dictionary to recognize it as a newer spelling of the original word? So congratulations. If you're spelling it
1: AXE, you're just misspelling it. Okay, I'm I'm done with this argument for now. We've been having it for three days. (laughs) We really have. (laughs) (laughs) We've literally been having this argument for three days. So we haven't even touched on the ghosts, but I, it's so hard to because this case is so interesting. And there's so much that we haven't even covered on it. But there there have been some crazy um ghost stories on this, on this property.
0: Uh so yes. Uh first I want to touch on this. Um says these kids with their axe, do you think uh there was some blood spotter, blood splatter at the crime scene? He got some good axe body spray on him?
1: Oh. No, oh, we oh, the man. show. Thank you guys right. for
0: tuning in. We'll see you next week. Oh my oh. god! Way to that, ruin that. Was that worse than all the wand jokes. <laughs> pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, yes, we do know how to grow a beard. Rob knows how to grow a good neck beard. Right. Uh, that up there, buddy.
1: Oh, dude, I'm trying to fix what I, what's been destroyed.
0: <laughs> hope you like my joke. I hope, or he's laughing at your beard. Either one, great yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I completely forgot the question that you just asked. Was, yeah, oh, no, okay. we should actually, we turning on the axe body spray <laughs> joke, you know, it, it, it went great. It went great, just as I planned it in my head. I definitely want to talk about the ghosts here, though, because there's one particular story that someone may or may not have alluded to a couple of weeks ago about the dude with the knife wound.
1: Yeah, I talked about it in the episode.
0: You did talk about the episode. Yeah. That's re- that's re- I was yeah. just saying, like, I feel like you weren't the first one to mention it. I feel like somebody might have mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. It's just <laughs> <so> it's like, <laughs> that's not like any of us on the show to spoil stuff.
1: Uh, so there, there's some stuff about the hauntings at this house that I, that I really like. Uh, the, the, the owners are a little different, and they do put out a book and ask for people to record their experiences. Mm-hmm. but they don't leave it out for others to read. Finally, huh? Like, finally someone is doing it right. How, how, I mean, it's so simple. So I, I've watched a couple shows of people that have gone there and they let like the bigger shows read some of the the, the papers yeah, yeah. and see and show that there's people that say they they experience nothing. And then there's a lot of similar experiences as well.
0: Just tell me this. This is the only thing I need to know, mm-hmm. and this will determine whether or not it's on my list of places to visit or not. Do they have Annabelle dolls in every room yeah. of
1: the house? <laughs> oh, I di- I didn't see an Annabelle doll. I mean, they have a few like regular dolls, which I saw is, a couple, which is fine because it's a children's room. And you know, if you really look at one of the pictures, you see a Pokemon ball, which kind of threw it off for me. But um, you know, modern tours—they're going to give them something. It's a ball. Yeah, they're going
0: to find a way to. Of- Catch,
1: yeah. Catch so
0: on the topic of some of the kids that died in the house, this mm-hmm. was interesting that uh happened that I'm fairly certain you didn't mention in the episode. There was just so much to cover that obviously you couldn't so cover much. it. All. Um, two of the girls that were killed, the last two girls were not actually part of the Moore family. There were the, in this you did mention they had a different last name. It was uh sterlinger or something like that. Sterlinger. Yep. Um So they were allowed to sleep over their friend's house by their parents. And they were like, you got to call us in the morning. Whatever. So the parents the next day are like, obviously, like, well, where are the kids? So we haven't heard from them. So they're calling, calling, calling. Oh, and nobody's asking. And um, finally, they just think after, like, that must have been like half the day goes by. They can't get a hold of anyone and they're, they're, they're kind of freaking out. They call the operator and they go to the operator and they say, you know, we're trying to get a hold of the Moore house because our daughters are there. And the operator just goes, everyone in that house is dead. Whoa. Just. Yeah. Blocked. That's how they found out. <laughs> That's how they found out their daughters were killed. Was just, just which is crazy.
1: Just, just like a, just like an angry employee, like stop calling. They're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is nuts. Oh, yeah. What a, what a way to find out. Which is insane. And this isn't that long ago.
0: You know, we're not talking about like a time yeah. where like communication was like archaic. This mm-hmm. is like, you know. A hundred years ago. So, hundred and ten years ago, yeah. yeah it's, it's a long time ago, but, like, you, that, you can't, like, how far divorced are we from, from you know... Humanity. From, yeah. yeah, it's just crazy. Like, why would you... So, I of- wonder if it was that the operator, I'm not excusing his or her behavior, but the operator probably gotten a whole bunch of phone calls, like, reporting it. Like, oh, my God, there's a murder at this house. Oh, my God, there's mm-hmm. a murder at this house. You got to send it, you know, they're That's probably calling. Point. And then... Operator probably didn't know who was calling. He's like, they're all dead. They're all dead. Stop calling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe that's a good point. I, I think gotta that. To these other, I could get to these other three hundred callers that are calling me and telling me the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many
1: people had telephones back then. <clears> yeah, the but, operator, but, but, but they were archaic, man. They they went and trampled through that crime scene. One dude took a piece of the skull, put how, it on how display how in his pool hall.
0: Did police not have a hold of that situation?
1: Yeah. So as much as we praise them for their detective work. But this wasn't the only house this happened at. This was commonplace during this time. Like, oh, let's go check out the murder. Something to do on a Friday. I would like, if they would let me in. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean they they did because they weren't stopping you. So this wasn't the only crime scene. I I mean I just listened to the um to uh to about the um oh my god I'm stumbling on it. It was a crime family in the 1920s. And the Barker gang, and the same thing happened. Once they were killed, the public came through and just was staring at where what happened. It's crazy, like that. When did it's just crazy to me that they would let people into
0: the house? And I guess this is before like. Um, crime scene investigation and like the technology got as good as it is. With well, they DNA didn't have and everything the and- fingerprint technology. So fingerprint technology had like just been introduced in Europe, but it hadn't made its way over here yet. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they would have caught him if they had it because at the Colorado house, when he broke into the second house, he knocked over an ink an ink canister It smeared his fingerprints all on the ink right on the walls and nothing they could do about it at that time, but his fingerprints were all right there. Yeah. So they had, yeah, exactly.
0: So they didn't have, they didn't have fingerprint technology. They didn't have, you couldn't test hair. You couldn't do DNA. Um, I I swear to, I I think they were just doing like magnifying glasses with footprints, which I mean, to your point, like keep people out of your crime scene. If you're, if you're looking at footprints, but, um, they had and almost, even like with the, the the main piece of evidence that you had mentioned, well, I don't know if that's the main piece, but <clears throat> you know the shoe getting knocked shoe over and then being over, to yeah. able to figure that out, yeah. you know, would have yeah. If you have a hundred people, a bunch of people came in and trampled me, knocked a damn shoe over. I mean, I guess that blood was dripping on the side, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you have a tr- crime scene that's so beyond disturbed. You're absolutely what do you right. Know is, actually, is and legit. A, what isn't? You know? That's a great point. Like, what if somebody else kicked the shoe over while a hundred people were running through the crime scene?
1: well right. they got they got so we there. might not
0: even what we know about it now might not even be what happened yeah volpe they Volpe asked did they take pictures with their smartphones? No, they didn't even think of using their smartphones. <laughs> they were too busy taking selfies at the crime scene with all the new people that showed up,
1: yeah, they were too busy emailing each other, too busy <laughs> emailing each other um another thing like so we we talk about like all the advances they didn't have, but then you can think of they they talk about some of the stuff that they did, and like another way they knew that they came back to the room other than the shoe is. They were able to study the, the wounds, and they knew that some were done earlier than others based on the coagulation of the blood and stuff like that. So they were like, oh, these wounds are more fresh than these ones. Right. So like I think they're, they are probably
0: able to tell the difference between um, post-mortem wounds and pre-mortem, I guess. Right,
1: right, <clears throat> because they try to heal or whatever. But, yeah, so, like, you, you talk about all the advancements they didn't have, but they still – they put in the effort that they could. It's just they didn't have the stuff the the stuff or the communication to speak with each other to, to figure this stuff out. Uh they they didn't even, police forces haven't talked until recently. Like you could do this in the 50s a lot of time. I mean there were some more advances, but they were still doing this town by town. They weren't, you know, calling other police forces. Everyone was so freaking Concerned about being the only ones to take care of the stuff and not cooperate with other police departments. Yeah,
0: so you wonder how many serial killers were traveling from town to town doing this kind of stuff. A lot. So you, so you would rule out everyone on this list and assume that it's just the, uh, someone random from a train?
1: Well, the other one's the senator um, that he worked for before, mm-hmm. and he broke off and went to his own, created his own store. The if the senator is going to kill him, he's not going to have the whole family killed. I mean, come on, he's that's, not going to do with an axe, right? You know what it's, I mean?
0: No, that was that's
1: not a political right. The, I mean, it just it he's going to get suicided, up. yeah. It that's doesn't, how politicians add up. kill people, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't add up. So, that's an easy one to throw out. Um, so it was, it's only Kelly who to me doesn't fit the profile. Or a guy that had done this a lot, that was so confident in what he did after he did it, he took his time, made a plate of food, wandered around the house, did whatever he wanted for who knows how long, knew that he wanted to cover the windows, knew how he wanted to leave the crime scene, and took off when he knew the train was coming. I mean, it's the only it's the only thing that really makes sense specifically for this one and some of the other ones that they think he's responsible for. There was a few that I'm like, eh, I could see that going another way. Also they do. I'm just going to say, cause the, the, the authors come on and said the killer's name. They, they, they track down who they think it was. And his name was Paul Miller and he started in Massachusetts. Yeah. He, he was of, he was of German descent, Dave. Yep. German and he came over... Not of German
0: descent, he was from Germany.
1: Right, he was... Literally, he was born German. Germany. he was He was from Germany, came over, he lived around Sturbridge. Uh, a family took him in to work on horses, and he killed them all in this manner. And he was really sloppy about the first murder. And that's what happens with serial killers there. It starts off sloppy, they build up their, their their ritual, and they get better and better at it. So... That's so it, that's it, Paul. Is it Mueller or Miller? It's it it Mueller. could be either. Uh, and that what could have um, not even been his real name.
0: You touched on uh, William Mansfield.
1: Uh, Blackie Mansfield would have been. Oh, no. Blackie. Okay.
0: No, Well, that was the guy that was. Oh, yeah. He was the one that was hired by the senator. Allegedly. Was, yeah. Allegedly. Hired by the senator. Yeah. Um, and he was a coke addict, which would so explain was some probably behavior everyone in the house. Uh, yeah, true. They used to just. that just seems that to was, be that was medicine back then. That wasn't even considered right, a narcotic. Right, right. There just are, seems to be the most on this guy, but. <clears throat> anyways, uh, I, real quick, I, I on, yeah. on his on on his German heritage, and this is this is a fun one. Not fun. I mean, we're talking about ex murders. It's, it's a little bit fun. If you if you're here, you probably think it's fun. But um, I love the book. Um, they they tied it. I mean, spoiler, Dave's coming in. I, do, you want, do you want to roll with this this theory, Rob? Just, this is what just talk about it. Yeah, just, just talk about it, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. So they 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 tied this in, and I love it because he came from Germany, mm-hmm. and he was in the United States, and he did all this, the string of ax murders, and then it just stopped, right? They just stopped. Nothing happened after 19, was it 19? I think 20? 12. I thought it went longer than that but uh, I know 1911 and 12 were like the, the thick of it. Yep. But I think I thought it went closer oh, to maybe. the twenties, but anyway, so it's ended and then nothing happened in the, in the U S. So the authors are like three things could have happened. One, he died because he's in his fifties, sixties, you know, back in the early 1900s, you, you typically die if you're that age. Number two is he went to prison for something else unrelated. Uh, or number three, he left the country and went back to his hometown in Germany. Well, what could he have done in Germany? Well, the timeline fits that he could have went and done the Hinterkaifeck axe murders in Germany, which happened, which it makes sense as far as the timeline goes. When the murders stopped in the United States, the Hinterkaifeck murders, which is the most notorious axe murder in Germany, which is right around his hometown where he was from, happened after they stopped in the United States. So the theory that the um, the authors of this book tossed out very loosely that like I think it's less than a one percent chance that it was the same guy, but less than one percent. The way you just described it makes me sound like it's like 95 dude, go, percent. Dude, go look guy, into it because dude. it was the Hinterkaifeck murders. Same same same. Almost all of they hit on almost all the same points. Uh, a family hacked up with the blunt side of the axe, and it, and the timeline fits that for him to leave United States and go back to Germany. And it's like, they're like, we're not saying it. And I feel like it was a little bit of them kind of just trying not to sound like, you know, conspiracy theorists. But they were like, here are the facts. Take, take it for what it's worth. Right. And I love it. I love that fucking theory. i that. like, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit too, like, you know, you're like, oh, man, could, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and, you know. Ted Bundy been the same guy you know well
1: it's it's H.H. H. Holmes and Jack the Ripper right that's right yeah people people have tried to tie H.H. H. Holmes to being Jack the Ripper because there's a loose timeline that he was actually in England during the Jack the Ripper or close to it or whatever
0: yeah yeah that's so, a better that's a better analogy because obviously Jeffrey Dobber and Ted Bundy are not the same guy but that's you know what I mean <laughs> 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 all right boys it's time it's time to talk about the bacon okay oh you know what you're right she's right she's right
1: what the fuck is that about? Like, is yeah. this like the American pie, like, <laughs> like axe murders? Right, with mm-hmm. the, I, I'm going to start with, I didn't even know there was two pounds, like blocks of bacon until oh, thick bacon is where the party's at. Well, I you can attach that. I, what do
0: you what do you fuck thin break thin bacon? What's wrong with you? Oh, sorry. Well, it's been a long time Jesus. since I fucked a good side of bacon. But the uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I buy bacon, it's typically like seven to twelve pounds sides of bacon that I smoke and then yeah, slice you get them the, up the big blocks. Yeah, yeah, I slice up like you know four or five pounds and use the rest to masturbate. <laughs> 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 I don't get like like what if, if this 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 makes no sense to me because. I just don't know where it's coming. Like where, I don't know. Then, that, like, I mean, it's it's hard to make sense of the whole why thing. Why do you need so the like, bacon? Like, why can't you just not use bacon? Like why it's like, it just doesn't I don't get it.
1: Yeah, I like that we're trying to get into the psychological mind of an axe murderer. I can't, and his. I
0: can't dance around it though. It's it's like <laughs> it's, it's it's hard not, to not say the wrong thing here. So it's like it's, it's it's actually better for him to fuck the bacon. Yeah, of course. Because he didn't rape the girl, right? Right. Right. And it's hard to not say the wrong the wrong thing here, but it's like he's such a sick bastard. It's like, but he draws the line somewhere. I, I it's a good thing that he drew the line there, but he should have drew the line at murdering everyone, too.
1: Yeah, that's usually where I draw the line. <laughs> usually.
0: <laughs> that's an interesting choice of words there, my friend. Um hmm. that it's piece just of bacon used to... in the video uh... was like Tiramisu. I was like, that's that's a dessert. That's a tasty dessert, but it was just a really thick cut of bacon. This guy murdered an entire family with an axe, right? The blunt side of an axe. And then went around and then murdered them again, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just continued murdering them. And then cleaned off the axe blade. And kind then of. kind of did his best. He had all the shit that he had to get to. <laughs> yeah. And then went to the 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 cellar and got a side of bacon and was like, oh yeah. You know this, what though? This is gonna like, work. I can make this happen why i put the, i put weird. this on the detectives i put this on the detectives to say how did you come to that conclusion was there a well, hole you did found you like a, hunk, a hole in it he <laughs> like, found a hunk of bacon on the floor and, you're like, and he must have fucked that too <laughs> I know. maybe maybe he didn't maybe he just found what? a piece of bacon on the floor i don't know maybe they just had the bacon on the table like it was it's cured so it can be in room yeah, stored in room caught, temperature maybe it just fell on the floor the maybe he i don't know i mean i maybe he did you so know, a just, guy who's like a guy who's got away with a hundred murders beats definitely off with fuck, bacon. Definitely fucks bacon. Like, yeah.
1: You know, you know the guy that brought it up just never heard the end of it for the rest of his police career. They'd go into a crime scene and he would just be like, "Yeah, so it looks like he stole the jewelry." Oh yeah, Jib? Did he fuck the bacon too? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if fuck the bacon was like a uh, a term that meant something totally
0: different back in 1912? Yeah, he really. It's like fuck he the fucked the bacon, bacon on too, which meant yeah. maybe it meant like he. uh I don't know, stole the He stole are, the pigs? He fucked the bacon? I don't know. Oh, all the detectives are in the house just trying to do a serious investigation, I and mean, Jim's in the fridge again. Yep, yeah, probably fucked this right here. <laughs> yeah. Got a casserole in here. He must have fucked this. Like, Jim, get out of the fridge. Get some work done. <laughs>
1: oh, man. So, yeah,
0: one of, the, one, of the, one of the detectives found the side of bacon down in the cellar. He was like, I think he had sex with this. I better take it. <laughs> take it into evidence. Bacon. <laughs>
1: All right, um, we, we gotta get into the ghost before we leave. We have oh,
0: to. I, I want to talk. We, about we
1: alluded to the story of this whack job who stabbed himself in the we, chest. We can't even start with that. We have to. We have to go what, to finish with that. Yeah, I or thought we we're, were all. I thought we're we going to show my
0: fucking bacon. I, I guess I would, didn't read <laughs> that part of the memo.
1: No, we brought it up twice. Let's just talk about the guy that stabbed himself. Yeah. So. He went there with his paranormal team, which was his parents. Uh, I think there was other people there, though. There's, I've seen conflicting reports on that, but I think there was more than them. And he went in by himself into the room that Lena and Ina Stillinger went into. So I'll give you the defense of him. OK, better be good. He, I'm, I am I'm not going to say I believe it, but the defense of him is he was in there says he got a little hazy or something he saw a light in the closet and he started to hear a voice and then he kind of basically blacked out and when he opened his eyes again the knife was in his chest and there is a report from before him that he couldn't have known about that had the same account but they didn't they didn't do any bodily harm to themselves hmm. there was a light in the closet there was a menacing voice that was trying to convince them to do some bodily harm to themselves and it's written on one of those papers or something and so there's multiple people that have told that same story of the events leading up to it and so that to me is interesting hmm. that you have two uh, wait, different. So papers.
0: when you when you say that he couldn't have known about it, why couldn't he have known about
1: it? Because they don't share those. They didn't share those paper the paperwork with them. So then, how do we know about it? Because they told us afterwards. They 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 tell the story now. Okay.
0: I guess it's a serious enough case for them to make an exception. Because
1: yeah, so they they talk about it now. They said I I forget the other guy who said it. It was somebody, but they they had the same basically the same story leading up to when the guy stabbed himself
0: so that that does give it a little bit of credit
1: i I, okay
0: i was gonna say to lean into the side of credibility um because i like to go into these things with an open mind but when i hear that story i'm like this asshole but if you go back to it and you think about it like there are so many cases when you see like, Oh, I got scratched, but I didn't notice the scratches until the next morning. It's like, mm-hmm. sure. You know, you see all the stuff and you're like, that's self-inflicted, that's self-inflicted, that's self-inflicted. There are some more serious ones that I don't see how someone could self, you know, do that to themselves, which is like, um, the poltergeist in Scotland. Uh, someone had a broken finger and I'm like, that's just, that's too much for too much to be able to do to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that. And then there was burns too, like serious burns that people came back with. And that's from the same case. So I've seen a few of those where I was like, I don't see someone going to that extent just to blame it on a ghost for a couple of likes on Instagram or Facebook or something like that, or to end up on a website, but it's not, it's not going to make like national news, you know? So it's, I, I don't see it too much as like clout chasing when it's, when it's that serious of an injury. I don't, I don't see the, I don't see a sane person doing that. Um, and if this man had to be airlifted out, maybe there is uh something else that happened there. So my
1: my original take was this guy was trying to fake an axe wound and you know have the, have the best ghost story. And have the best go- he was just trying to do that. Then I start looking into it a little more and I'm like, oh, well, the fact that these two stories match up and he couldn't have known about the original one, it's just like oh, and now he won't talk about it publicly. So, all we go off of is kind of conjecture and what're' we're, we we're told that he told to the police what happened you know
0: hmm. he won't and if he doesn't speak if he isn't talking it. about it publicly, then it completely validates well, the not, fact that it isn't uh, for clout chasing where he's not he's not doing it for publicity if he, yeah, he's not going on to talk shows and
1: right <clears throat> right and so. it happened in two thousand and fourteen, I think I said, so now we're eight years in if if he was if he was doing it you know. A book tour or something. He like, would have already out. done it. Yeah. so Exactly. Unless so, yeah. he did it
0: and was like, this is stupid, and then feels like a fucking idiot. That's Bad, the mean, only most, other, uh, most people don't agree with him, and he just wants to, like, I want this to go away. Yeah,
1: yeah that's the only other thing. So, what are some of the other uh, ghost
0: stories out of the house?
1: There is mixed, mixed types of interactions. There's a lot of interactions with the children. Uh, they will sit there and they've had real.
0: When you say the children, do you mean the children who visit or the children who died? The children who died.
1: They will talk to you via EVPs and stuff. There's been some really good EVPs caught in that house, uh, mm-hmm. of like just that they're pretty amazing. Um, but there's also an evil entity in there supposedly. So the caretaker of the house, he's one of those guys, you know, he says he didn't believe in anything until he started working there. Same old story, which, you know, could be true. Could not. But basically what he tells you when you go into that house is, you know, you want to show some respect and stuff, then you're going to get that type of interaction. You want to punch the horn's nest, then you're going to get that interaction. So, what you're looking for is what you're going to get when you go there because you're you're just dealing with so many different spirits. The one thing I didn't hear anything about was any interaction with the parents. It's either the evil entity which is just an evil entity or it's the you know the spirit of the the man that did the crimes or or you or you get the children. So I'd like, to, I'd like to see more stories on if you get Sarah or Josiah Moore, but I didn't see much about them ever coming up. It's usually the children. Specifically, that children's bedroom upstairs um, gets a lot of activity. The Stillinger Room gets a lot of activity. There is activity in the Moore's bedroom, but you hear way more about the other two bedrooms than, than the main room. And the attic. Which is why I think he came from the attic, too. The attic looks like Amityville. Yeah, from the side. It's the side. I don't know if you caught it in the last picture of the house. But yeah, I did. Because
0: I, I actually typed out to call you out twice when I saw like, the front. And I was like, yeah. That's not the, those aren't the
1: windows. Yeah, it lied to me. And yeah. then that
0: last picture, I saw the two little half, a quarter circle windows. I was like, oh, there it is. All right, never mind.
1: Yeah, and their attic is, is interesting because it's called uh, attic, but it's actually on the second floor. And I was watching some videos on the house and it doesn't have a regular door. It's like a smaller door that you have to like go in through. And like, Mm -hmm. dude, all I can think about is like that dude emerging from that little doorway, like in the middle of the pitch black night. It's just fucking terrifying. So they're not sure if he came out of the attic or the barn. Those are the two theories i I think the attic makes sense. I think he that's started on the, the
0: cigarettes, right
1: right the, I think he started the day in the barn, waited, saw them leave, and when he saw them leave, he's like, oh, I can just go sneak in there and find a place to hide and that's exactly what he did. He knew that when they came home they're not going to stay up all night, so all he had to do was hide for a little long like a little bit of time, not all day, and uh waited for him to go to sleep and then went and did what he wanted to do so that's why I think the attic has the activity, because that's where he spent the most of his time waiting for the family to go to sleep. And that's where his ghost perpetually relives the killings. Yeah, well, that was me yeah. finding an angle on the story. <clears throat> I liked it. Thanks.
0: Nicely done. Nicely done. So uh, that was episode number 16 of Hometown Ghost Stories. That is the Velisca axe murder case. an unsolved crime.
1: But um, we need to like this is a place that I will. If things go well the next year or two, I want to go to this house. Yeah, fly yeah, out so to good. Iowa. Get yourself on fucking watch list. This is the house that I, what? Why, this is, fly, why are you
0: flying to Iowa? <laughs> 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 you have a reason to fly to Iowa? Listen, uh, I can't.
1: <laughs> of all the stories we've done so far, if we can go one place. Yeah, we haven't gone yet. This is the one I want to go to so far. So I'm just throwing it in up. Iowa. Like if we were to like double bacon. That's right. <laughs> sure. Get a slab of bacon and go to town, baby. Uh, Andrew yeah. says he'll
0: bring breakfast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Very laughs> i <Fucking good>. bacon <laughs> comments right now. The bacon. That's
0: my favorite ongoing joke. I'll never look at a slab know. of bacon the same. <laughs> no, I don't know if I can make bacon anymore. Mm. That's what we are gonna call making done. love now. Make some bacon? Yeah. At least not talk about <laughs> it. Right. Let's move on. Uh so we have a couple of uh interesting episodes coming up. Uh we just got back. We got back from Vermont. We went up there, did an investigation, spent the night at a um, haunted hotel. Haunted hotel, visited a haunted bridge, and I will uh leave the details out for the episode, but it was a uh that was a cool night. It's a cool night. Longer drive than I expected.
1: Hold so cold. <laughs> cold. It was very cold,
0: man. We were, we were what? We are an hour east of um, Montreal. Oh yeah, it was yep. crazy. Yeah, it was so cold, so cold. Yes, very cool. very cool. so very
1: cool. very cool hotel. Very fucking creepy bridge,
0: especially oh, yeah. how oh, late man. we were
1: there. Yeah, yeah, we were there late, and uh, we were investigating the bridge late, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But it's especially for me and Jesse, it was very creepy. Some things, things happened, so yeah.
0: uh, we'll, co- no we'll cover that soon. There's no bacon to keep us warm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, so we got we got Stowe, Vermont's coming. We got uh, Gettysburg coming for another episode. Oh, is that what you're working on, Gettysburg? Yep, I already got it uh, yeah. half written. And then Gettysburg. I got uh, Melbourne, Florida coming up. Cold where spoiler spoiler alert, there's a haunted CVS. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
0: I know that's really going to draw you guys in.
1: <laughs> hey, that that is the most the Florida CVS. thing I've ever heard. So. <laughs> like if, if you were going to be like, "There's a there's a haunted CVS in a state picket," I'd be like, "Oh, it's uh, it's got to be Florida, Florida, Florida.
0: <laughs> Florida man." CVS is haunted. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> Don't worry, that's the only part of the episode. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so we got some episodes coming up. So uh, tune in next week. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for uh, TikTok. I mean, we we're, we just passed six thousand followers. We've only been on TikTok for a, of weeks, a couple weeks. Of weeks, yeah. So uh, it's growing substantially. Getting a lot of really good feedback. And if you're new to the YouTube channel, I appreciate you guys. Um, also, audio. We mentioned it last week. The podcast has been absolutely blown up. We need reviews. So if you guys don't mind, uh, swing by Apple Podcast, leave a review. Even if that's not where you listen to it, just go drop us a review. We'll be reading out some of the best reviews coming up. And again, make sure you sub on YouTube. Check out the videos. Uh, very uh, very well done video today, Robert. That was thank awesome. You. So that's that. That is that. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a brand new episode of hometown ghost stories i'm jesse wilkins that's dave wilkins that's rob coakley thank you guys and uh we will see you next time